This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hub. We've got David Banson with us now. He is CIO CIO of the Banson Group of Hightower Advisors and a National Review Institute trustee. David, thank you so much for calling in. Thanks for having me. All right, Trump, the markets, let's talk. I remember the night of the election when I think Dow Futures plummeted when it was clear that Hillary was going to lose. People, when I mean people, I mean famed economists and, uh, and, and Democrat, uh, Democrat pundits with backgrounds in economics uh, were, were writing about how, see, the market has spoken. Hillary Clinton's loss is terrible. Well, now the market is better than it's been in, in decades for this period of time for a new president. But I know you say some of this, yeah, good, but also let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. What is true about the market under Trump thus far? Well, and I, and, and I think that a lot of this could very well prove to be well-founded. I think that you want to be careful if you're the president about benchmarking your presidency to the up-and-down movements of the stock market. There's a little more unpredictability. There's a little more embedded volatility in the market than maybe those in the political sphere might be used to. So I would be prudent there. But I think that the market is doing exactly what you might expect it to do, given the policy uh, paradigm that we're being told is coming, a repeal and replace of Obamacare a deregulation across the energy sector, the financial sector, and then most importantly, corporate tax reform, some degree of foreign profits being repatriated back onshore to be able to be put to use in a more business investment friendly climate. And then, of course, a lower cost of uh, compliance by a simplified tax structure. Now, David, what does that look like? I mean, when people talk about a lower corporate tax rate, everyone that I know uh, who follows markets or that I talk to in my media travels, who is a, a market guy, either works uh, works on Wall Street in some capacity in the financial services sector, says, "Look, lower, the corporate tax rate's just too high. Lowering it is a good thing, and this would be a smart move for the Trump administration." I think to a lot of people who hear that, they say, "Well, why do I care?" 
Can you explain to anyone listening who isn't running a corporation or isn't involved in a cor- in what they would think of as a corporation, perhaps small business or uh, you know local business? Why does the corporate tax rate going down help them? How can that help most of America and not just those who seem to already have access to the corridors of power? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's very important. I'm going to answer it for two types of people. One are the shareholders of companies, and two is everybody else. Because there is, we have to be really clear about this, there is only one entity that pays corporate taxes, and it is not the corporation. It is the employees of the corporation. It is the people not hired by the corporation because there's less money in the kitty to hire them. It is the capital expenditures or growth of the business that doesn't happen because there's less money. The, the, the customers of a company that have higher prices because the cost of that taxation liability is passed on to them. Ultimately, corporate taxes are absorbed by all the wrong people. So to the extent that you tax less of something, you get more of it. And we think that is extremely bullish for the overall economy, not just the shareholders, but for the stakeholders in the economy, the customers, the, the laborers, et cetera, that have that skin in the game. And as as to how the market is doing so far, um, I, you know, Trump himself was saying a while ago that the market is that we're in a bubble right now. Uh, what what do you make of that? I mean, obviously, no, that was not what he says today, but that's what he was saying at what was it when the Dow was at uh, eighteen thousand, and now it's at uh, or what would that be at, at what the Dow is now? I mean, aren't we in a bigger bubble if we were in a bubble then? Well, I mean, if you if you were taking him literally on the math of what he said, if you're in a bubble at eighteen thousand and now you're twelve and a half percent higher, then I guess you're in a twelve and a half percent bigger bubble, right? Um, ultimately, I think you can kind of excuse his little comment at the first debate, which is where he said that, because I think it was more political. I think that a lot of things get said in a campaign that probably are not. Uh, worth interpreting literally, and that might be even more true with this particular president. But um, no, I think that there, that there is truth to it in this sense. We don't know exactly how valuations will hold up if and when the Federal Reserve begins a more aggressive form of normalizing monetary policy. Let me just say it a little more succinctly. If they start raising rates more than expected, there are some parts of the investment universe that will suffer from that and that have benefited from the kind of free ride of a really accommodative Fed. So I don't believe we're in bubble territory. I think certain parts of the market look very frothy, that their valuations are on the higher end of where you probably would want to be. There's other things that I think look really opportunistic. I think I've said this several times. President Trump has the potential to be the energy president. The deregulation of the he is doing in enabling oil and gas to actually start moving around the country again, create pipelines that will transport in a cleaner manner oil and natural gas so that we can export product, that is a revolutionary idea. And I believe he's going to get a lot of it done. So there's an investable activity there around Trump's energy policy. Do I think some of the other sectors of the market might look a little expensive? Probably so. But overall, I think the point of the article I wrote with National Review was to say, hey, the president probably 
should be focusing more on GDP growth, the overall economy, than just using the Dow Jones as a barometer. So you mentioned energy. What are the other ways that the uh, that that the the Trump administration can and and I, this goes with the proviso of you know every administration gets more credit for a good economy that it deserves and more blame for a bad economy than it deserves probably right but Absolutely. Uh, given that they he does have some levers he can use those levers to some effect what are the things that he can do other than deregulating the energy side of things that might affect people listening right now right I mean if you're listening right now and you whether you're a, a school teacher. Uh, a plumber, or a lawyer, or a doctor, you know, what can Trump do that might make things better that will affect you in a positive way, in an economic, uh, economically positive way? The lowest hanging fruit for the president is to deregulate the burden that is put on businesses. And he's already taken action in that regard. There's a lot more work that can be done. But from the plumber to the teacher to the consumer, the everyday shopper, and, and anyone else in between in terms of their role within the economy, there is too much regulation that's become too much of a burden, both in a fiscal cost and, and in a kind of harder to quantify way as to, the, as to what it does to the sort of animal spirits. When you have greater optimism, there's less headwinds that you're facing because there's less of a regulatory burden. It enables businesses to start building, to investing in their future, hiring more people, more innovation, all of these things we can get out of our own way. Now, if you want me to get into the weeds a little more, if I were him, would I be doing significant things in our pharmaceutical and healthcare business? to make the FDA process for new drug approval much, much easier? Yes, I would. That's not only a great uh, maneuver from an investment standpoint and the profitability of those companies, but far more importantly, it will save lives. So I think that well, is, you have- Is the biggest hurdle to that on just the, on the liability side, that there are so many, that you have to go through what, phase one, two, and three clinical trials because of concerns about- lawsuits once a, you know if a drug is approved and you don't go through all of this or you don't have these procedures in place it's easier to sue because i know there have been massive lawsuits in the past about drugs that have been approved so why does the process have to be so owners I, I think and correct me if this is wrong but i think i remember reading that to take a drug that is a brand new drug not an iteration of a previously established drug not a new delivery mechanism you know a foam instead of a pill or whatever uh to take a drug from concept to market costs a billion dollars, which sounds like insane to me, but that's what I'm told it costs. Well, and that's, it's a true number from a, a median standpoint. There are a lot of drugs that cost more than that to get to market. There are obviously a lot of drugs that, that cost less, but as an average, that's, there's a lot of empirical support for that number you cite. So you've, you've done good homework there, but I'll tell you, the biggest reason is not just the litigation threat. This comes down to kind of our shared philosophy of government. It's necessarily more bureaucratic when you have invited the, such a large behemoth of government into the process. We absolutely need regulatory approval around um, safe drugs coming to market, but to the extent that we have ample opportunities to make this far more free, 
far less bureaucratic and burdensome and allow for greater risk-taking and patient can uh, say with their doctor as to what they're willing to try and not try and things of that nature. When you get into the highly sensitive areas of people's own health care, um, this is extremely low-hanging fruit, and I think it would have a tremendous impact on a lot of people in the society. Is healthcare really fixable, by the way? I mean, I know that this is people talk about repeal and replace and Obamacare is bad. And I, I've spoken to many experts and, and done as much homework as I can without, uh, you know, losing it over reading so much of the, of the same material about why Obamacare is not what it was promised to be and why it's failing. OK, that's all true. The problem is I see it with healthcare, And this I just have learned as a healthcare consumer um, is that. People want to believe that someone else is going to ultimately the problem with their healthcare system is that people have been told that healthcare is a right. Healthcare is a very broad term, and people want to believe that someone else is really going to pay for their healthcare. And healthcare is very expensive. Maybe there are ways you can bring down costs, but I don't know how we get around that. I, I think this is what Republicans are faced with now, and it's just not you know, it's the same sort of uh, some of the same dynamics you see with how Trump isn't touching Medicare. Trump isn't touching Social Security. I was I remember being told years ago Medicare was unsustainable at the current rate. Well, nobody wants to say that. I think nobody, politically speaking, wants to say that health care that somebody else pays for that's great and accessible to all Americans isn't really possible. I, I, is that is that too dark, a too dark a version of this or is that really what no one wants to say? I think in a sense you're asking two different questions because I think that there is a um, sort of broader philosophical question, can this be done? Is it fixable? Is it even theoretically uh, doable to make improvements in the way we deliver healthcare services to our society? And, and I think that the other question that goes there with is, is it politically feasible? And those are two different questions. The, the, the I am asking both one. of those. You are right. Those are two different questions. I really want you to focus in on the first one, which I think you're going to do. So go ahead. The first one, the answer is unequivocally, yes, it is doable. Unequivocally. First of all, based on our belief system about freedom and about choice and about the benefits of competition in society, we don't have any ability to say that it's unfixable when we've had a system that has become so bureaucratized and that competition has been so stifled. We have every opportunity in our society to look around and see the benefits of competition, see the benefits of choice, see the benefits of open markets. For us to then say, yeah, but that doesn't work with health care is a huge leap of statist faith I'm not willing to take. I believe it can and will work in health care. Um, and, and to the answer your question, theoretically, it's out there for the taking. Now, it's sloppy. It's messy. We've done such bad things to get to this point that unwinding it would take a lot of work. And frankly, where I kind of disagree with some of my Republican friends sometimes, I think we do have to be sensitive to that. I don't think we have the right to just all of a sudden say, we're just going to kind of undo it all, blow it up, and let the chips fall where they may. We need to be very delicate from a policymaking standpoint and how we get there, but ultimately greater freedom, greater choice. I have absolutely no doubt it could be totally revolutionary in the quality of health care that we are delivering in our society and the economic impact that would have. I mean, but so you, you can foresee a future where if Republicans were to do things correctly on health care, the average American would be able to be covered would have a reasonably wide network of doctors to see, 
and could pay a $20 or $30 copay for each visit, and that, that more or less is it. I mean, that's because I, my, that's the expectation here for most people when they think of health care coverage. They think that they're going to be able to go see a doctor and pay 20 bucks, and that's going to be it, or maybe it's 30 bucks or whatever, something like that. I, yeah, I just so, I wonder how that happens, given that you know, the moment you don't have health care, which I've gone through, every time you go see a doctor, it's like 800 bucks. <laughs> You're like, okay, how did that happen? Well, and I think, I think that um, the different needs different patients have and where the insurance system goes and so forth, there's a lot of variables around this. Do I think that we're getting to a point where there will be free or almost free health care? No. But see, this is exactly the whole damage that Obamacare did to this conversation. It confused two things that just cannot be confused, and I certainly don't want our listeners right now to be confused. We're talking about the difference between health care and paying for health care. There's never been a moment in which all of a sudden health care was going to be free or, or health care was going to uh, cost much less. The cost of health care has done nothing but go higher. That's the question we have to be answering. Why is that? So to the extent that we provide more subsidy or more benefit or something that makes the customer feel like he's paying less, that doesn't mean the health care costs less. It means it was a transfer of payments. The cost of health care and the health care itself are two different things. But ultimately, I believe that with greater choice, greater competition, unless this entire philosophy of free markets has been totally in error, then we will see two things that happen. Prices come down and quality go up. That's the way. David, it will we'd work. love to have you back to continue this and other discussions about the economy and markets. We're literally running running into the hard break here. David Banson yeah. is a CIO of the Banson Group of High Tower Advisors. He's a Nash Review Institute trustee. You can read his latest on NashReview.com. David, thank you so much for making the time. We'll have you on the night show soon. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks so much. All right, team, we gotta hit a break. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Get ready for this. You're going to see a lot of stories, uh, teary-eyed stories, about what Trump's immigration policies uh, mean for illegal immigrants. You didn't see this despite Obama deporting a whole bunch of people under the Obama administration. Here's what it was like on MSNBC. Play the clip, please. The child at anti-Trump protests to MSNBC clip. 
Jose, tell me why why were you leading the march just now? Uh, because I hate Trump and uh, so and so do my parents and other of our friends. And uh, he uh, deported my father and my uncle uh, because they were illegal immigrants. Lots of children. Remember, anytime Democrats say it's about the children, you should be suspicious. You're going to see a whole bunch of that. You're going to see a lot of uh, cases of children children separated from their parents to try to put a maximum emotional impact into the issue. You will not see lots of televised interviews with the families of people who have been killed, let's say, in drunk driving uh, accidents where an illegal immigrant without a license doesn't know how to drive or is not legally driving, um, is behind the wheel of a car and kills somebody. You won't, you won't see lots of, of interviews in the mainstream press with the families of those killed by illegal immigrants in, in accidents. You won't see them with the families of those killed by illegal immigrant uh, gang members or illegal immigrants who just in, engage in, in violent crime. That, and you could do that, couldn't you? Wouldn't that be a valid part of this discussion as well? If, if we're going to be shown the human costs of enforcing immigration law, isn't, doesn't it stand to reason that the press is honest that they would also show the human cost in very uh, real emotional terms for those who uh, are affected negatively by illegal immigration in this country? Doesn't the human toll argument work both ways? Oh, no, of course not, because, you know, the press and they're liberal and they just want everyone to come here, man, because like America, a nation of immigrants. It's, it's amazing. I also love so many of the legal immigrants I know uh, and speak to, including a couple that live in my, in my building here in New York. They're so pro-Trump. They love Trump. And I just think it's so funny because, you know, you always hear that Trump is so anti-immigrant. And meanwhile, I know plenty of legal immigrants who think that Trump is the greatest and they want illegal immigration to stop. We got more coming. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. We're joined now by Noni Darwish. She is a human rights activist who was raised as a devout Muslim in Gaza and Cairo before immigrating to the United States, where she converted to Christianity. Her controversial upcoming book, Wholly Different, Why I Chose Biblical Values Over Islamic Values, argues that now is the time we proudly stand up and proclaim what we know to be true. Islamic values are bad, period. Oh, my. Noni Darwish, thank you for calling in. Hi, Buck. My pleasure. Uh, okay, so you uh, grew up uh, in Gaza and Cairo. You were a devout Muslim, and now you're writing a book about choosing biblical values over Islamic values. And you say that, as I see here in the blurb about your book, that Islamic values are bad, period. Do tell. Well, what, uh, you know, we have to compare the two uh, value systems. And uh, I'm not speaking about... Muslim people, because people, there's good and bad in everybody. I'm just uh, comparing side-by-side biblical values with Islamic values. And when I started doing that, when I first uh, 
uh, came to America and I I uh, saw churches and synagogues how they treat uh, how they teach people their value system. For instance, we're all sinners. Uh, this is a very common uh, statement uh, said in every church. In Islam, they are all sinners. Islam focuses on changing the other, not on changing oneself. And that is a major difference between the two religions. And, what are, I mean, when you talk about Islamic values, and, and by the way, Noni, I've, I've gotten drawn into this conversation generally at CNN just with respect to uh, whether jihadism is the cause of terrorism, uh, of jihadist terrorism in Europe, or European lack of uh, programs to assimilate, or European rejection of the other. And this is, uh, so I've, I've been involved in the back and forth from that side. And as a former counterterrorism practitioner at the CIA, I have very particular views on this. But one of the things that I always would run up against, and, and you see this elsewhere, and Reza Aslan, and there are others that use this as the, as the, as a sort of get out of jail free card in this debate all the time is what are Islamic values? Are the are the values of a, of a Muslim in Morocco the same as one in Indonesia and the same as one in Somalia and Saudi Arabia? How do you address that? Because I'm sure people must come at you with that line of argument because I hear it on TV all the time. Well, absolutely. There, I'm not speaking about people, and that's uh, one way to confuse everybody is when you when they tell you, "Oh, are you talking about?" You know, a person in Morocco is different from Pakistan, from Cairo, from this or that. And that's why we don't want to judge Islamic values by people. We have to judge Islamic values but what, by what it's preached in their holy books, in their uh, Sharia books, in, in books about what is good and bad. And this is in every religion. We cannot judge Christianity by the behavior of Christians because Christians are not the same. So same thing with with Islam. Um, uh, and of course, uh, a lot of people are saying that oh, it's a West. You know, your point was very good about being. Uh, is it is it the West's fault that? Uh, but no, it's not because when I first came to America, uh, I I still consider myself Muslim. So I went to mosques here in America, and I was shocked when I was told, don't assimilate. So, and then I researched it, and I found out in Islamic law, uh, there are many laws against assimilating in, into foreign and novelty value system that is not Islamic. So, the reason there is no assimilation is not because the West is not allowing allowing Muslims to assimilate, but uh, it's because Islam forbids assimilation. I'll give you an example. There is a Muslim imam in Canada by the name of Mazin uh, Adham, and he said this following statement. Islam and democracy are contradictory and absolutely incompatible. Uh, he continues saying, called, he called on Canadian Muslims to stick to the Islamic law, reject secularism, work together to spread Islam, reestablish the Islamic state, which is the caliphate, and implement Sharia law. So the, the purpose is not to assimilate. The British um, mayor of London 
where his name is Khan. He visited the United States recently, a few months ago, uh, last year, and he said uh, openly in his speech to the American Muslims and that they don't need to assimilate in Islam in American culture. Actually, he was encouraging them. And no, Noni, but what, what I'm sure what, what the people that would uh, be critical of the thesis of your book and also that go on TV and, and always play this game of any discussion of Islamic values that is critical or any discussion of the role between uh, terrorism in the modern world and at least uh, subsets of Islam or some portion of the Muslim world. Uh, they always say, well, well, that's just you're just giving anecdotal evidence or you're just this is just one individual. It's not representative of the one point seven billion. Right? They always repeat that number as uh, once again, it, the, the argument becomes very slippery. And I know that this is what they always come up with. So I, I wonder how do you you're telling me individual stories and I appreciate that. And I I, I don't disagree with your thesis that this is something that people don't want to talk about and they aren't honest about what's really going on with Islamic values in the in the modern world today. But I do know that these are the always the counter arguments. So I'm curious to know how you address them. That's why you always have to uh, tell whoever tells you that most Muslims are not like that is fine. We're not talking about people. You have to always go back because the other side, the one that wants to confuse the West, they insist on talking about people. And if you notice, I don't talk, I'm not talking about people. In my whole book, all I'm talking about are values that are inside the books of Islam. Uh, values that are... What are those values, if I may ask? I mean, this is an important point then. So what are the, if it's not about the people, it's about the values. What are the values as you define them and as you describe them? Christianity, you know, teaches us to change ourselves. And uh, if you read the Bible, it's all about changing oneself, controlling oneself. Islam is all about controlling others, changing others. It's, uh, uh, we're all sinners in Christianity. In Islam, they are all sinners. Judge the sin and not the sinner, versus judging the sinner, not the sin. Guided by the Holy Spirit versus manipulated by human terror. Terror was, this is a quote from Muhammad. It's in the books, all over Islamic books. And I'm not talking about people. I have been victorious through terror. That's a quote from Muhammad. And I'm not talking about Muslims. Do you think that my whole family in Egypt are some of the nicest Muslims you're uh, you'll ever meet. So I always want to avoid talking about people because uh, you, miss the, you miss the truth. Uh, no, I, under- I understand. We understand that point. You've made that point clear. This is about, yes. this is about ideology, not about people. But, but of course, that has an effect on people. So what, do we, what should we know about the ideology? Why does this ideology, one... Another, another important one. Uh, uh, Jesus died for us to save us, Okay. In Islam, we must die for Allah to go to heaven. How do we die for Allah? We have to kill the enemies of Allah. The word enemies of Allah is all over the Quran. Who are the enemies of Allah? They are Jews, Christians, pagans, uh, whoever is not a Muslim. Some Muslims call the enemies of Allah even other sects of Islam, like Shiites call Sunnis 
enemies of Allah, and Sunni is called Shiites, enemies of Allah. And the people who go to heaven uh, are the ones who die for Allah's sake to kill his enemies. This is totally different from the biblical values. In, in Christianity, we have to confess our sins. We, uh, the whole Bible is about confessing sin and to be redeemed and to be forgiven. In Islam, there is a whole theory about concealment of sin. Go on Google. You'll find under Islam there are verses in the Quran that, and hadith by Muhammad that encourage Muslims to conceal their sin and not, never make it public. Uh, in Islam, uh, uh, in the Bible, we're at war with the devil, okay? We're not at war with flesh and blood. In the Islam, we are at war with flesh and blood. We are at war with the enemies of Allah. Two, uh, three-thirds of the world, three-fourths of the world are called enemies of Allah. And the job of the good Muslim is to get rid of them or convert them. In the Bible, truth will set you free. The whole Bible is talking about truth. In Islam, lying and slandering of enemies of Islam is an obligation. It's opposite. Uh, changing oneself versus changing other. Vengeance, vengeance is mine versus vengeance is prescribed for Muslims. I'm quoting here from the Quran. I'm not talking about people. Uh, Islam, uh, you know, Christianity is a covenant of peace. Islam is a covenant of war. We have to be at war with Dar al-Harb. These are basic, basic values in Islam. Self-reliance is a value under Christianity. In Islam, well, Noni, I would love to get, I would love to hear a debate, or maybe you can direct us to one of you making this case uh, against, you know, the overwhelming uh, leftist consensus in this country, which is always, of course, that Islam is a religion of peace, and the things that I know you address in your book, because I, I would, I would love to hear um, that that back and forth. Uh, but unfortunately, today we're we're, we're at time. Yeah, well, uh, Noni I, Darwish is a has, human rights activist and author of Holy Different: Why I Chose Biblical Values Over Islamic Values. Well, I'm sorry, Noni. What do you want to say? Uh, no, I, I said uh, my book will will will. If you read my book, it's all with references from the Quran, from the Hadith, from the Sharia, from the sayings of Muhammad. And it's not about people. And that's why it is, I'm talking about the values as they're being preached. In no, I, I hear you. Yeah, I know. i just just curious to hear the rest of the argument. But unfortunately, we're, we're at time today. Thank you very much, Nodi Darwish, for joining us. I appreciate it. And team, we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. competition to see of, of existence you know who can exist because if one group not only can they but it's not it's not just that they both can't be the most victimized but that they both can't exist as a category if the other exists matt walsh available on demand anytime at theblaze.com slash radio the irs is the most feared agency in the world you've heard ads from other companies offering to help taxpayers only if they owe over ten thousand dollars 
Here at Platinum Tax Defenders, we're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, and we're proud to be one of the only tax firms in the country who understands that people who owe less than $10,000 need help just as badly. The IRS doesn't care how much money you owe. They'll still garnish your wages and even seize your assets. So whether you owe just a few thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands, call now for your free tax consultation. If you qualify, we may even be able to reduce your tax debt down to a small fraction of what you owe. So don't wait until the IRS seizes your property and garnishes your wages. Call 800-579-4967 and get your tax problem resolved once and for all. That number again is 800-579-4967. 800-579-4967. And now, Blaze Radio hosts react to not-so-positive listener feedback. Hey, it's Chris Salcedo. I was perusing Twitter the other day. Some guy named Ron says he doesn't care for the way I refer to the biased media as the Brian Williams press. I thought the vast majority of us preferred that our news anchors... Didn't lie to him. I don't know. Maybe he's into news and information SNL. Hey, all you left wing nuts. If you want to hear some of my other nicknames for your side, check out the Chris Salcedo Show. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and now Google Play Music. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto and Prodexa users. If you or a loved one has taken the blood thinning drugs Zarelto or Prodexa and suffered an injury or even died, you could be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Call 800-553-4751 now. Zarelto and Prodexa have been linked to internal bleeding, strokes, and pulmonary embolisms. If you or a loved one has taken these blood thinning drugs and have been hospitalized for internal bleeding, you could be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Don't be a silent victim. Time is limited to file your claim. Call now for free information and a free consultation. Lines are open 24-7. Call 800-553-4751. That's 800-553-4751. 800-553-4751. You could be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Call 800-553-4751 now. If your credit card bills have gotten out of hand, call Citizen Incorporated 5701 West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Not a loan company. Licensed by the New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation. Maryland DM19, Oregon DM80031. Services are primarily educational in nature. Don't miss the Chris Salcedo Show. It also bears pointing out that the president identified the entities that I often identify as the basket of bias. That is why I call them the liberal talk show. It's not news. It's not the press. They're not journalists. When they're doing what I'm doing, they're opinion folks. ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, The New York Times, The Washington Post descended into opinion, masquerading as news. It's no longer news. The Chris Salcedo Show, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. For much of the media team, when in doubt, just just go, if you're a Democrat, strategist, or whatever, just go on TV and call Trump a racist. They don't care what else you have to say. Just go on national television and call the president a racist, and you'll, you'll have plenty of invitations to go on TV from most of, almost all of the networks out there. This is how this segment was set up with a couple of CNN commentators. One's Harlan Hill. I've had on the show before. I actually know Angela Rye as well. I, on a person-to-person level, I think she's uh, perfectly pleasant. And she can be quite charming when she wants to be. Uh, but uh, this is how the segment went. Play it. 
More on our breaking news now. President Trump has just condemned the wave of anti-Semitic crimes across the country for the first time. I want you to take a look at the president just a short time ago. The anti-Semitic threats targeting our Jewish community and community centers are horrible and are painful and a very sad reminder of the work that still must be done to root out hate and prejudice and evil. Those comments from President Trump at the National Museum of African American History here in Washington. And joining me to discuss is CNN political commentator Angela Rye. She is the former executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus. And Harlan Hill, he is a political consultant and a supporter and of Donald Trump's. Harlan, I want to ask you about this because I know that you're, you're hearing some of Brianna the criticism Keeler of Donald the, Trump. Uh, and I imagine poster. people who support him like you may say, okay, he gets criticized for not saying this. And then he's criticized for not saying it soon enough but uh, okay, wait, press i'm going pause. to ask you that question that's I, I love how we skip over that by the way wait press pause for one second she she's the, this is the anchor saying okay so i i get that trump was criticized for not speaking out against these anti-semitic attacks and anti-semitic opera okay and then he speaks out against it and then the media says he didn't do it soon enough okay so you know we're all clear right that it doesn't matter what he says they just want to say he's an anti-semite he's a bigot they just want to say it they don't care but he'll keep playing the clip Seven oh, bomb we? scares since the beginning of January, uh, a Jewish cemetery desecrated yesterday. Why do you think that President Trump spoke out now, and why do you think it did take him so long to do so? Well, look, I, he did the right thing. He's spoken very clearly on this in the past. He said he's Can we acknowledged stop for a that. Why did was asking Harlan here? Who's a, I like Harlan. Wait, press press pause. Harlan's a nice guy, smart guy. Uh, why did it take him so long to do so? Why, who says it's so long? His son is, or I mean, his son-in-law, I should say, is Orthodox Jewish. His daughter is a convert to Judaism, or one of his daughters, a convert to Judaism. But they're they're doing a whole segment here that's basically, you know, is Trump an anti-Semite? And then they bring on a commentator, we won't have time to get to it right now, who says, oh, no, he's a bigot for sure. She just calls him a bigot, straight up. You got to, I'll play this more tonight, team. So join me, uh, 6 to 9 Eastern. Uh, if you want to listen, all you have to do is go to AmericanOutRadio.com and you can click live listen that way. That's probably the easiest way, unless you have a local uh, terrestrial affiliate in your area. It's on 6 to 9 Eastern. And if you miss it and want to listen to it on playback, AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast. Uh, so join me tonight, team. Always want the Freedom Hut team by my side. Until then, Shield tie. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.